The book series is The Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. I think by the end of this, I'll probably have foiled the series, so if you're not ready for that, be warned. But to be fair, these books are like 70 years old, so if you haven't read them by now, what are you waiting for? Then again, a great reason for not having read The Chronicles of Narnia is that this is truly a children's series. The books are, you know, 200 pages each, so it's not killing your brain power to read them. They're seven books, they're very quick, short stories. This is my third time reading them. I find that I'm enjoying the series more now than when I did read them as a young adult. Even though they're written as kids' books, this, this world of Narnia is incredibly well thought out. I mean, this is a detailed place that has different people groups, different countries, I think even different languages. It's got its own history, um, its own, like, lore or, or mythology. And over the course of seven kids' books, this is a, a really well-developed world. And I've gotten to see that more and more as an adult. I've just appreciated the, the time and effort and energy that C.S. Lewis put into creating this series. It's not like a stereotypical series. It's, it's almost like sci-fi-ish at some points. In the Silver Chair, when they're doing some of their adventures, they're in like this cave, and they see this giant. And they're at, the kids are asking, like, oh, why is this giant asleep underground? And the response they get from the very weird underground dwelling creatures is, oh, he's going to wake up at the end of the world. And then they move on. That's a weird... That's almost like, that's like a science fiction plot to me, uh, more than anything else. But sure enough, as you get to the last battle, um, Aslan comes in and he is, he's tearing apart Narnia. And this giant wakes up and is essentially the thing that destroys the sun and puts an end to Narnia. And again, that, that even ties back to the theme of like, yeah, it's a kid's book, but these are also very mature concepts. The reason why it's called The Chronicles of Narnia is that the stories revolve around Narnia the place more so than the characters who are recurring throughout. Like, you see Lucy throughout probably four or five of the seven books. But more so, what he's doing is building out this place called Narnia through the lens of the children, the Penvises. I've never really known how to pronounce it. Penvises, maybe? The series opens up with the magician's nephew, and you see Aslan creating this, this brand new place out of nothing. And it's almost like the Genesis story retold. And then you get the line, the witch in the wardrobe, and so you've got the kids become the kings and queens. And then it fast forwards in time and, and jumps to the future, and you see, um, you know, essentially one of their descendants on the throne in, in his various adventures. And on and on until you get to finally, you see the end of Narnia. The series covers this broad scope of time from beginning to end, and it takes place in multiple parts throughout the country, some in Narnia proper, some down in Collarman, some in the, the wildlands to the west, and then you've got all the way up to Aslan's country on the far east. Probably my favorite one was The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. So in this book, Trurian, maybe? I don't remember which character. Trurian, Eustace, and, uh, and Jill. They go on an adventure um, sailing east of Narnia all the way over to what is essentially the end of the world. And in this adventure, it's almost uh, like one of those Greek myths 
where they go to a bunch of different islands and experience the different adventures that are going on there. So like one is shrouded in darkness and one has like a star, but it's like personified star. So it's a person, but it's actually a star who kind of got exiled to this island. And that just speaks again to the weird, very well-developed mythology of Narnia. And then finally you get to the end and this, this awesome character named Reepichi leaves our world and goes into Aslan's country. That book is a bit different than the other ones because there's not like a particular villain that they're fighting. There's no big bad who is the antagonist. The book really is just them on their adventures. And it was, and it was just paced very well and incredibly imaginative. Another thought that stayed with me as I was reading the series was how similar it is to Lord of the Rings. And hear me out on this one. J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis were, I think they were in that same like writer circle that took place at Oxford. This this group would take ideas that they were bouncing around and get feedback and improve upon them. So you have this whole wide range of authors speaking to each other's ideas. And so you see this like cross-pollination of ideas, which while not conceptually similar, thematically speak to both Narnia and Middle-earth. Middle-earth obviously being far more developed a lot more languages and people groups going on. It's got a lot more popular appeal, and the novels are a bit darker overall. But the idea of a group of people going on adventures in a foreign world and having maps that you can follow around, having a specific mythology that's developed that you can learn about, they both speak to this fantasy genre in similar ways. There's the smallest little bit of controversy that borders on being a geek to know about, But as the story goes, there are two different ways that you can read the Chronicles of Narnia. The way you find the books now is in chronological order. If you see them in chronological order, the books are The Magician's Nephew, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, The Horse and His Boy, Prince Caspian, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, The Silver Chair, and The Last Battle. And this follows what I was speaking to earlier. It's the story of Narnia from beginning to end. So The Magician's Nephew sees Aslan creating it. The last battle sees Aslan tearing it down. But if you were born in the, like, say, 1940s and you were reading these books as they were being published, you would actually read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe first, published in 1950, followed by Prince Caspian, The Voyage of the Don Treader, The Silver Chair, The Horse and His Boy, The Magician's Nephew, and The Last Battle. And so all that to say is the publication order is different than the chronological order. And so the debate is almost similar to Star Wars, where it's like, okay, which order are you supposed to watch them in? Or which order are you supposed to, to consume this content? And as with Star Wars, I'm really on the side of publication. You can definitely follow the storyline in chronological order, but as the writers and authors were conceiving these stories, the story they wrote was based in their experience. So at the time of writing The Empire Strikes Back, the Clone Wars had not been conceived. It had not been published yet. So the Clone Wars doesn't necessarily impact the author's creation of The Empire Strikes Back. And so it is with Narnia. C.S. Lewis was writing these books as he was thinking about them. Maybe he had the backstory in his mind, but that was not necessarily informing the story he was writing at the time. And moreover, if you were reading these stories as they were being put out, you wouldn't have said, well, I'm not going to read this one because it's clearly the third book in the series and he hasn't published number one and published number two yet. Like, no, you would read it as it was meant to be read, and that's in the order C.S. Lewis was publishing it. And most of these stories are one-offs anyways. It doesn't actually matter that you're getting them out of order. One interesting point, if you do decide to do the publication order, is that The Magician's Nephew is, is book one. It's where Aslan create Narnia. 
that is the second to last book you read in the publication order. And the juxtaposition of having the creation followed by the destruction back to back, I guess as a reader, was a cool experience. And not that you lose that if you read The Magician's Nephew first and then The Last Battle last, but it's a bit separated and a lot happens between those two things. But I think that they're more connected thematically and make more sense to read back to back than chronologically. I'll end on The Last Battle because it's the one that I just finished reading, so it's, it's kind of just top of mind. Lewis takes Christian theology and he builds it into the narrative of Narnia. And so the last battle sees um, a couple of characters pretend to be Aslan and trick all of the world almost into following them and not listening to the real Aslan. And there's just a small remnant of people who are left who are, who are true believers, so to speak. And so, I mean, this it pretty clearly connects to the, the Christian theology about the Antichrist and this person, you know, essentially claiming to be the Messiah and leading away Christians and, and being the deceiver. But, but as you'd expect, Aslan comes back, saves the day. There's a bit more science fiction-y stuff going on where one of the other gods from Collarman is actually a, one of the characters and it's like this weird bird-like figure who, I don't know, it's just weird. It just This is not a character who I expected to pop up in the series, but there he is right there. So Aslan comes back, saves the day, and then the last like 20 or so pages is devoted to basically C.S. Lewis describing his understanding of heaven in a fiction format. So he's talked about this previously in like Mere Christianity and, and in some other places of what he thinks heaven is like, but he takes that theology and, and fleshes it out in a fiction form. And that's one of the, the things that I really enjoy about C.S. Lewis as an author is his writing is incredibly consistent across genres. That it's very clear when you're reading C.S. Lewis that what he thinks is consistent, regardless if this is a fiction book, a nonfiction book, if it's theology, if it's philosophy, he's telling the same story in all these different formats. It's like a very talented band who, no matter if they're playing a different genre of rock or acoustic or metal or whatever they're doing, it's still very clearly this band sound, but just interpreted slightly differently. And that makes the uh, experience of listening enjoyable because of that variety. That's how I feel reading his books. In these last 20 pages, they're exploring heaven slash Narnia. And I won't try to explain it. I think that would sound ridiculous. Just go back and read the books. But the imagery stays with me. It's very compelling. It's, it's very well thought out. We, I think, grow up with this idea of, like, heaven is just floating in clouds and, and playing harps all day. But C.S. Lewis paints a convincing picture that... There's a lot more going on, that there's more to it, that it's not just that history has ended and life has gone stale, but there is like life and there are history and there are jokes and there are adventures and there are you know, real things. And that helps bring to life some of the things that the Bible says in helping me understand them in a different way. One last note that I thought about for years, but never really gotten to articulate. And that's part of the reason why I started doing this podcast is just so I could throw these stupid ideas out somewhere. Kids book. Everyone's in Narnia heaven, so obviously this is a happy ending. You've got all the characters from the whole series, like very popular people like Reva Cheap and Tumnus the Fawn and, and their parents, and like just everyone is there hanging out, except one. A small note is made that almost all of the family had gathered in one place before being taken over to Narnia, but Susan had gone a different way. Susan being one of the central characters from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And they give it a little bit of explanation that, that she started to imagine Narnia as a fairy tale place and wasn't interested in, in believing it anymore. But from a literary perspective, it's, it stands out to me that, that he would have this one bittersweet moment in an otherwise very happy ending. 
I even went as far as to look it up. And apparently a kid who, you know, was reading this book, because it's supposed to be kids reading this book, but apparently a child had written to C.S. Lewis while he was still alive, saying, hey, I read your book, and I noticed Susan wasn't there. Uh, what's going on? Like, can you provide some background? And in response to this kid's request about Susan's story, and did she ever make it into, like, Narnia heaven, C.S. Lewis says, quote, I could not write that story myself. Not that I have no hope of Susan's ever getting to Aslan's country, but because I have a feeling that the story of her journey would be longer and more like a grown-up novel than I wanted to write. But I might be mistaken. Why not try it yourself? Unquote. To date, I have not seen anyone try to publish a story about Susan and her journey, but if I ever come across it, that's a book that I want to read. Mm -hmm.